What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. Oh, I was waiting for I'm Pete in my oh, head. Oh, wow, my God. in your brain. Oh, no. And on The Stack, we talk about a couple you of books him. that have come out. I do miss him. A couple of um, books that came out this week. Unfortunately, Pete, our co-host, will not be here with us this week to talk about his opinions, but... We'll chat all of them anyway. We'll try to yeah. bring them out. Oh, definitely. We have we share so many opinions that I'm sure we're going to cover his bases. There'll be a lot of overlap. Let's kick it off with a big new one. Justice League Road to Dark Crisis, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, Jeremy Adams, Chuck Brown, Philip Kennedy Johnson, Stephanie Phillips, art by Dan Jurgens, Rosie Camp, Fico Osio, Layla Del Duca, and Clayton Henry. Now, as you can probably figure out, from the title, this is the table setting, I would say, for Dark Crisis, the next big event from DC Comics. Dark Crisis finds Pariah being manipulated once again, this time by the Great Darkness, to destroy the DC Universe, as we found out in Dark Crisis number zero. The Great Darkness has been behind every crisis, every villain that has ever hit the DC Universe. So here we get a couple of short tales of some of the main characters that are going to play big throughout this crossover. What did you think about this issue, Justin? It's funny, this issue, like, for sort of, um, I mean, the, the, it's the road to Dark Crisis. So th- this is sort of like some some table setting, some throat clearing. Uh, we're checking in with some characters. I was surprised by how little happens or how, how little is put on the table here. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of like, ah, uh, the Justice League, they're... They're gone, right? And they're like, well, no, not really gone. It's like they're probably gone. They're dead. Maybe they're gone. They're not dead. And it's just a lot of like sort of wrestling, but not really landing on the deal. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised by that. This felt like it was really going to be like, okay, get ready because here's what's coming. And it really was very much a this isn't this isn't what's coming. This is what's happened. You have Pariah, who's doing something vaguely uh, origin-forming for this. And then you have just a bunch of other villains who are like, hey, we're going to do some crimes, some regular <laughs> crimes. Uh, which I was surprised. It feels like this is a very low-stakes kickoff. Here's my big problem with it. No Bob Hope, no Bing Crosby. How is this even a road to title? You know what I'm talking about? Wow, the deep, perhaps the deepest cut. <laughs> they say the first cut is the deepest, but a Bob Hope reference in 2022 is perhaps deeper than the first cut. Yes, this is a very deep cut. Uh, I I agree with what you're saying. It was not what I expected. At the same time, I thought these were some pretty solid stories of the DC Universe. I like the Nightwing Flash team up. I thought that was fun. I did think the Pariah story in particular was really good. I liked artistically how they kept flashing between his current circumstances and the things that are literally haunting him from his past. I thought that yeah. was very good. Uh, I and mean, I liked a lot of the rest. Pariah, when your name's Pariah, it's like, of course. Yeah, when you name a kid Pariah, happen. things are not uh, good yeah. in the future. Not a top ten name. <laughs> not right underneath Oscar and above Otis. In right. that current naming structure. Exactly. Also, P is generally not between O's and O's, but we won't get into it. I'm talking Otherwise, about popularity-wise, Alex. I know what you're saying. You just called out two O names around a P name, so I couldn't let that slide. Wow. You're the P to the <laughs> podcast <laughs> now. Yeah. I you love you about everything. Alphabet police over here. Okay. <laughs> My alphabet goes in whatever direction I want it to. 
But if you are looking for, if you haven't been in the DC universe for a while and are wondering what's going on with some of the characters, I think that's the point of this book. That's what's going on here. And, and I that, will say, yeah, this does to to that point. This does lay out like um, Hal Jordan still around. All of his friends, his level friend, his friend, the friends on his level are gone. Um, you've got um, not the Arthur Aquaman. Um, you've got which Flash is hanging around. Like we do, definitely get sort of a, like. Um, the players stepping up to the to bat here a little bit. Yeah, so there's that. Let's move on to another one, though, which is also slowly building to its own big event, TBD. But Avengers Forever, number six from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jim Toe. In this issue, we're capturing uh, catching up with another part of the multiverse, specifically a T'Challa who was almost killed by a Killmonger who seems to be wearing Destroyer armor, going around the multiverse, killing as many Black Panthers as he can. And this Black Panther first takes on an identity very similar to Spider-Man, then one similar to Iron Man, and ultimately, I think, uh, spoiler here, but Starbrand by the end of the issue, seemingly going to team up with a bunch of these other multiversal Avengers. What do you think about this one? I feel like Jason Aaron has been writing the Avengers for so long now that he can just drop in with sort of a uh, left field type story like this and just hit it. It's just such a it's a fun story. This feels like an extension of the Killmonger episode of the What If series. Mm-hmm. Um, you could definitely draw that connection, I think. Um, and it's fun. It's, you see T'Challa in a sort of a way where you're like, why would he choose to do that? Be like a Spider-Man I wonder what that sort of larger um, point is. Is it a a totemic thing of like in every multiverse, there is a Spider-Man, there is an Iron Man, and and each character sort of occupies different roles throughout the multiverse, which is sort of cool and very Marvel-y. And I just like sort of this feels like a one and done, but it's actually not. It's leading up to this larger story that Jason Aaron is telling. He's just such a master of the um, one-off issue that actually means something later for him. Yeah, good stuff. I missed Aaron Cooter's art on this issue, but Jim Toe is still real good and really like the stuff that's going on here. Still feels of a piece with what Aaron Cooter has been doing with the title. Next up, here's a weird one. The Phalanx, number one from Image Comics by Jonathan Luna. Now, this book is about a woman who is sucked back in time to the 90s, encounters a super team, and ends up fighting a evil alien with them. I read this entire issue being like, did I miss an earlier series or what is happening here? And it turns out I did. In fact, there was a title called The Phalanx that Jonathan Luna apparently was a fan of and is doing a tribute to seemingly as part of Image's 30th anniversary celebration. So that's exactly what's going on here. I know you're a big fan of the Luna Brothers. You like the 90s throwback Image comics as well. So this had to be right up your alley. Well, I, I really liked in sort of and oh, forward. also you love nude hulks. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I'm always like, how are those shorts staying on? <laughs> Boom, break them open. Uh, but the there's a great forward to this book um, by Jonathan Luna talking about um, being an image fan and like p- having to like write in uh, and like order these books special. And I had the same experience the summer that image comics came out. I special ordered all of them. And we literally, my brother and I were like painting a fence and like doing chores. And every day we would talk about image, the image comics titles that were coming, talk about the heroes that we thought, what we thought they were going to do. 
run to the mailbox every day. They didn't come. It turns out we were like two months off with the, the arrival date. So we <laughs> were really spent our summer uh, in the heat for no reason. But uh, the point is, this feels like what it feels like to be creating your own characters when you're a kid. I was like, oh, this is like right up my alley. Um, even the way their powers manifest, uh, where there you could see the sort of, uh, this guy looks just like um, uh, characters from Wildcats. This character, you can see the sort of homages to. Um, I mean, the, the Hulk character, the female Hulk who's close burst off, I was like, oh, I didn't expect to see that here. But that is what happens uh, in this <laughs> title. Um, I, I did really enjoy this from a nostalgia point of view. There you go. Shadow War Omega, number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Steven Segovia, Mike Henderson, and Howard Porter. This is wrapping up the Shadow War storyline. And big spoiler here, but this happens at the beginning of the issue. We found out that the mastermind behind everything that's been going on is Geoforce, who it turns out is pissed off at Talia al Ghul for causing Leviathan to crash on Makrovia. He decided to go for a two-for-one, two birds with one stone, and take out Deathstroke at the same time, because he's never liked Deathstroke for Teen Titans-related uh, reasons, among other things. And um, so that, there you go. Big... Big revelations here of this issue, big fighting, big wrap up, and then a tee up that ties into Dark Crisis by the end here. Um, we haven't really been following this storyline very closely, but we did read the kickoff and a couple of issues here and there in between. That said, how did you feel about how it wrapped up? I feel like we've been pinning Geoforce for quite some time. Like, this guy's <laughs> been up to no good. Um, he's got that GF on his shirt as a logo, suspect. Um, so, uh, I mean, it was, it was surprising that he's a villain here, um, a character that I remember vaguely from, uh, DC history, but you don't really see a lot of, I did like the story that was happening here though, uh, getting into the, uh, sort of, uh, the Lazarus pit and all of that setting up, getting into some dark crisis setup. This felt like some, a more natural dark crisis setup than even some of the stories in the, the book we talked about earlier, the road to dark crisis. But this was just like a, a real Damian Wayne story. I feel mm -hmm. like you really get to see some nice relationship moments between him and Batman that uh, we don't see too much of. And they took the time to have the characters actually talk to each other and open up about their relationship in a, in a real way. So I, I appreciated that. I actually thought this did a really good job of tying up a bunch of different threads in the DC universe, including the Leviathan storyline that Brian Michael Bendis has yeah. been doing for a while, all the Robins stuff that has been going on with Damian Wayne, as you mentioned, and others, of course, the Deathstroke stuff as well. So mind you, even though I didn't keep up with this, and I'm also not the biggest fan of like, surprise, person who is a hero is a villain now, and here's why they're the villain I still think Joshua Williamson and company did a really solid job with this wrap up. And I was very yeah. pleasantly surprised. So me too. There you go. Next up, Captain Marvel, number 38 from Marvel, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Juan Forgari and Alvaro Lopez. In this issue, Captain Marvel is missing, so Binary is on Earth picking up in her stead. The new Binary that Kelly Thompson has been writing is not particularly familiar with being human and is working with Spider-Woman to stop some evil. Meanwhile, Captain Marvel is on some alien planet dealing, seemingly, dealing with some stuff of her own. Uh, I'll tell you what, I always like Kelly Thompson's stuff. Always yeah. a big fan. 
I thought the Barnery stuff was very fun. I haven't also been keeping up with this title. I've been reading it sporadically. So maybe this is something that established. But uh, spoiler here, in the middle, we find out that Carol Danvers is on this alien planet. And it felt like a lost issue of Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow to me. Oh, yeah. Down to the art and the way that it was played. And I was so surprised and so into the way this was playing out. I thought this was great. What about you? I agree. Like, I don't, you know, we we read a fair amount of Captain Marvel, and a lot of the stories are about putting obstacles in front of of Captain Marvel that Carol can just break through because she's so powerful. Mm -hmm. It's about, like, convoluted ways to get her into a bad situation. And... I and that's 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 fine. That that's just a hard narrative trick to do over and over again. Well, this issue, um, having it be like a split story where you have binary not understanding Earth and learning through other heroes, which is super fun, a bit lighter, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get into some stuff that is a bit more intense. Um, maybe some identity stuff because she's struggling with is she Carol or is she not. And then the stuff on this alien world with the actual Carol is super fun and unique and um, very different from any other Carol Danvers story. It seems like she's depowered um, from her normal power set, which I think is a, a great way to solve that problem of her having being too powerful. So I'm all fully on board with this. I really liked it. Next up, The Closet, number one, from Image Comics, written by James Tynion IV, art by Galvin, Gavin Fullerton. This is a new horror comic by James Tynion IV, and as I said on our live show, uh, just sign me up for any of that. But yeah. in this issue, we focus in on a dad who's trying to deal with the fact that her daughter, his daughter is scared of the monsters in her closet. He is dealing with it in bad ways because he's not a great dad as they are. Uh, did you look back because you thought your kids were coming out of your room? Yeah. I was like, you said not a great dad. And I was like, Oh, here come my kids probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But she is scared of the stuff in her closet. They're also moving. It's a pretty simple book. Not a ton happens in here, but Man, just art-wise and story-wise, I thought this was so simple and so scary and so good. Uh, I agree. Like, James Tynan, like, I don't know, he just is in this sweet spot as a storyteller where he comes at the the genre stories that he's telling in different ways each time. This very down-to-earth, you're on this dad who, having been a bartender at, like, a local bar in Brooklyn for many years, I've been the bartender in this scenario many <laughs> times. Like I just have, I only have time to just grab one. I just have to run to the store. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll have two and then just a third and just uh, definitely uh, cash me out. I'm like, oh, your partner is going to be pissed. I can tell you that much. And that's the, the case in this issue. Um, and I just, the slow play into this works perfectly into, uh, I guess I, I, we shouldn't say too much, but into a horror, but maybe there's another genre that we're touching on here as well um, that I think is super great. The art is cool and very like almost uh, like almost like modern. What's the reference I'm trying to make here? Like uh, it feels very like cool. um just like cartoon you would see in uh, not the New Yorker, but like a cool magazine like a, cartoon, like an Aeon Flux type thing, maybe. No, like not even a- that. But something like there's a New York Times uh, 
special page where they're showing like uh, mm, some comics okay. and it's like the art style has that sort of like it's very um a little bit elevated but still like sort of that that type of graphic novel uh, art that i think works really well here and um i just thought it was really good as well james tynan just doesn't miss so keep buying Next up, Action Comics 2022 Annual Number 1 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Cy Spurrier, art by Dale Eaglesham and Ian Churchill. This is telling two parallel stories, one of a young Man of Steel, Superman, as he is dealing with bullies back on Earth. And then, meanwhile, up on Warworld, the future Mongol is dealing with some bullies of his own. Uh, You can probably figure out they go in opposite directions, but I know you love this book, Justin, right? I, yeah, I was talking about this on the live shows, my book of the week. Like, this book made me cry. I was sitting here reading it today, uh, fully tearing up. It's a great, uh, just a great, the Superman side of it is a great, like, kid story that I think Philip Kennedy Johnson is adding so much heart to Superman. Um, and uh, I'm not sure how they split the the writing work on this, him and uh, he and Cy Spurrier. But, like, whatever it was, like, the, it, this story has so much just like real people trying to work out how to tolerate each other and and live better lives. And there's just some great pulling on the heartstrings here. And then the war world side of the story is great for the opposite way. You see sort of, like you said, the flip side of uh, hardening a child into a, uh, a warrior that is uh, not mentally healthy i guess you could say <laughs> and to pair these two types of stories they got together is the real like grace note of it all like i thought it was so good yeah this is a great book the art is great always a big fan of both dale eaglesham and ian churchill and their art pairs very nicely as we go back and forth between these two stories really good stuff next up miles are you morales. crying now are you crying oh, because yeah. of my my I, review the of the comics idea. made you cry the very the idea of you crying I can't deal with it. Oh, it's like puking. You see me puke, <laughs> then you start puking, but emotionally. No, what is, people, what is crying people, but emotionally puking? I'm puking for my eyes is what I always called it. Yeah. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 38 from Marvel, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Christopher Allen and Alberto Fochi. This is kicking off a new storyline where Miles Morales finds himself, I think, in an alternate universe where a clone of himself who is evil has taken over the world. He is paired up with yet another Miles Morales who is also fighting to take down that particular Miles Morales. So lots of different Miles Moraleses going on here. This, to me, felt like Saladin Ahmed's take four miles of the Empire of Wakanda, the storyline in Black Panther mm. that happened recently. And I dug that just in terms of like taking it to crazy sci-fi dimensions. But how did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I liked a lot of this, but I will say it reminded me of how the original Clone Saga and the original Spider-Man was too confu- confusing and convoluted. I was like, oh, you're doing that here, <laughs> too, because it is wildly confusing. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a you know, there's a lot of Miles is running around in uh, very similar uh, costumes, uh, fighting against another group of people who are uh, in similar costumes. There's just a lot of red and black uh, flying around here, so it makes for a lot going on. I really like the um, uh, the world that they're in. I think the sort of besieged Brooklyn just trying to get by, and the reveal at the end I thought was really cool. So 
I'm looking forward to reading more, but it's definitely a lot to sort of take in all at once. Yes, it's definitely there's a lot of ideas going on here, but I also appreciate that. I appreciate that that's happening in a Miles Morales comic. Next up, Little Monsters, number four from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. Now, just to mention, Jeff Lemire is actually going to be on our live show next Tuesday at 7 yes. p.m., so definitely check that out. We'll be talking about his new horror universe that he's kicking off with Andrea Sorrentino. But Little Monsters here is about a bunch of adorable little mm. vampires who are wandering around the post-apocalypse. They've gotten their first taste of blood, and they're just stretching their wings and killing a bunch of humans and just having a nice time. And of course, as a reader, I really identify with the tiny vampires who are killing everybody. Uh, what about you, Justin? In, in what way? Just a uh, quick follow-up question. In what no, way do you I don't identify? Wanna, I don't want to specify specifically in which way. Don't look at the bodies behind me that are piled up there or anything like that. They're <sighs> not husks. They're not husks. Bloodless husks. You know, mm. but like, don't worry about it. Um, just to be, uh, those are all, uh, they're not, you know, it's, uh, you would think he's talking about human corpses, but they're, um, small terriers, no doubt from the <laughs> prospect Park from the show video. terriers. Yeah. The actors from the show terriers. Right, another, dude. let me just say, Alex, another deep cut. <laughs> just really cutting deep <laughs> in some very different esoteric, uh, cultural mm-hmm. universes. Yep. Uh, that's all I got, man. It's all I got. Hey, you got to stretch out the tripod of our commentary uh, so much. Um, this book, I feel like Jeff Lemire's work lately has been uh, so much about pacing and about like really walking us into a story um, at the pace he wants so he can really control the reveals and control sort of the temperature of the, the intention of the story. And this, the first couple issues of this were like, hey, it's kids in a post-apocalyptic world just trying to figure it out. And then uh, now in these last couple issues, it's like, these kids want to eat human. And they're going to eat human whenever they can get it. Uh, and I really like that sort of the horror is rising. It feels like we're going to get a, a factioning in our vampire kids here. And it's just a really nice slow boil of a story. It contrasts nicely, and not to jump ahead, but another book that we're going to take talk about later in the stack, What's the Furthest Place from Here, mm. which is also about a post-apocalypse with kids and kids dying and other things going on there. But where What's the Furthest Place from Here, in a very good way, packs every issue with one kabillion ideas, Little Monsters is like, Here's a little morsel for you. Here's a tiny little morsel of another yeah. thing that's going to happen here. We're going to focus in on two of the tiny little vampire characters. There's going to be a twist at the end that's going to happen with one of them. Uh, and, but it's great. I mean, Dustin Wynn's art is phenomenal every issue. I like this world. I like how they're slowly widening it out again in the same place as what's the furthest place from here. It feels that approach of like we start in a small area. We get into bigger and bigger, bigger areas as we go. You get a sense that there's a lot more coming in this book than we know right now, yeah. uh, and that that's exciting. Like, there's an anticipation, there's a nervousness reading every issue. Yeah. Speaking Even of which, from a dog vampire like Alex. There you go. It, Speaking of nervous anticipation of what's coming, let's move on to uh, The Nice House on the Lake, number nine from DC Comics, again, written by James Tynan IV, art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, who I'll mention by autocorrect, we've now reviewed enough of this issue is that I p- plug in ALV, and it's like, do you mean Alvaro Martinez Bueno? Wow. Uh, great We're stuff. fans. Yeah, clearly. So in this issue, our second iteration of friends who are living in the 
last house on Earth, potentially, are starting to figure out that something is not quite right. Once again, our, I don't know, I hesitate to say main character, main antagonist, whatever you want to call him, Walter, is trying to figure out what to do about this. And he clearly seems to be spiraling out of control here. And we're starting to get a hint of what is backstage, what's going on behind the curtain with all of this. Talking about, like, eking out tiny little morsels every issue, this is the exact same thing, but I am on tenterhooks every time wanting to know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, first off, the art just establishes such a nice uh, mood um, by um, uh, Mr. Autocorrect himself, Avaro Martinez Bueno. Um, and the uh, the characters, there are a lot of characters, and I really like the way that the story just grabs a couple of them for each issue and then has a group meeting where it's like, well, here's how fucked we are. Um, and that, that happens every issue, but a lot of issues, that's nice to sort of have them all come together and then we follow off with our couple that we're following that issue. I love the, the sort of turns that Walter and um, I forget the name of the character, is it Lena, um, who is with him and sort of, uh, maybe about to make a power play or there's there's just something happening here and it's it's great and there's like betrayals here it's a big concept almost lost in in the way that it's like people stuck in a place and they can't figure out what the deal is but they're trying to live at the same time they're trying to solve the mystery and there's um, power players at the top there's people just trying to be regular in the middle and uh, maybe someone at the bottom who's making a play to be at the top so it's it's got great layers to it. James, like I just said earlier, James Tynan does not miss. Batman 2022 annual number one from DC Comics written by Ed Bryson, art by John Timms. In this issue, we're checking in with Batman Incorporated. Ghostmaker is in charge now and running things. Not everybody is happy. Ghostmaker. I called him Orphan Maker on the live show. We've done I that several times. That. I know. Several I... times. But Ghostmaker has done that several times. Uh, no. Ghostmaker, I don't know. Go ahead and talk about this book. I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Um, this book, this was like a sort of classic, like nuts and bolts uh, Batman annual. Like it was here the characters were dealing with. I like the way this issue did a great job of drawing the distinction between between Batman and Ghostmaker and the way they do business, um, where he's sort of a, a, just a jerky Batman. Mm -hmm. um, they found a nice way of modulating a Batman replacement from the um, Osriel. Like, I'm just a harder Batman. Oops, I'm crazy and I kill people. And this <laughs> is like a one notch down from that where it's like, I'm uh, similar to Batman in my skill set and uh, wealth. Um, I'm just less uh, comfortable. I, I don't mind uh, yelling at people and uh, putting people down when Batman's at least a little cooler about that. So that's the tone of this. I like the way that he runs this mission. I like the way that Clown Hunter is like his sort of equally heightened version of Robin where mm -hmm. he's like has the Damien thing of being like, I'm good at this and him being like, no, you're not. Here's how you're messing up. And he messes up worse than Damien um, all the time. So that's fun, and um, I like the mystery here, and I like this new character that, that introduced that then joins the team at the end. Yeah, fun stuff. I have questions about Batman Incorporated in general, like how do they make money? How do they work as a corporation? Is there a Lex Luthor LLC, for example, that's you know going up against them? Certainly seems like there is, but you know. 
you want to see the corporates or do you want the accountancy side? Exactly. Exactly. I want to know a little bit more about the business. I want to look at their spreadsheets. The, not mm-hmm. enough of that in the book, to be honest. But otherwise, good stuff. Fair. Fair criticism. Next up, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number eight from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, art by Andre Lima Arojo. In this issue, our main character is looking for the kid that he rescued who was kidnapped by a crazed assassin, something like that. Last issue, this issue, he goes after him. He gets captured. He gets tortured. It's harrowing and horrifying. Brutal. Oh, my God. This might be one of the most brutal things I've read in a very, very long time to the point that, like, maybe it's too much or maybe it skirts that line. How, how did you feel? It's definitely a lot. Like, this was this was um, sort of a, a one of the more evocative torture scenes I've ever seen in a comic. Um, and I talked before about how uh, Lemire, Jeff Lemire was working on pacing. It feels like with this um, story, Rick Remender is really working on like spare dialogue, comic storytelling and the way it really like uh, putting the reader, like uh, washing the images over the reader to to tell the story. And this is like just a series of, you know, moments in this larger scene, as opposed to other issues have been sort of longer and like people aren't running and chasing and getting caught and getting away. And this was just like a uh, one room study in like horror. Uh, and it's still really good. I don't want the, to keep people off because of how it's horrifying. Just to warn you that there is some pretty strong torture stuff in here. Yeah. Next up, Stranger Things, Kamchatka, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Michael Morrissey, art by Todor Kristov. I want to be careful here because I don't want to spoil Stranger Things, volume four for anybody. Have you? The TV show. The TV show. I'm starting it tonight. Mm, Okay. So I will say this does not, it becomes clear with this issue how it starts to tie into the show a little bit, but I'll kind of leave it at that without getting into spoilers. That said, I continue to really like this book. I think this is now my favorite miniseries from Stranger Things from Dark Horse Comics. It's dealing with stuff going on with Russia, this uh, spy scientist that's helping out two kids. It ties into a secret Russian facility where they have a Demogorgon. A lot of stuff going on there, but it really feels of a tone of the show. I'm into the characters, into the mystery. I'm really digging this quite a bit. What about you, Justin? Same thing. Um, They've done a fair amount of Stranger Things tie-in series, bridging the gap between season three and season four. And this is by far my favorite. I think this is the most successful. It really just like tells a fully different story in the Stranger Things world. And um, it's good. It's uh, scary when it needs to be. And for everything that happens in this issue, I'm curious to see. I don't know what's going to happen in the next issue. Yeah. There we go. Next up, we mentioned it earlier, but what's the furthest place from here? Number six from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg. Burgy. Art by Tyler Burgy. Boss. And in this Bossy. issue, our main characters are dealing with the fact that they did some really messed up stuff at a carnival the last issue, last two issues, maybe. Yep. And this issue, they're put on trial for that. They end up in a very different place in very different circumstances by the end of the issue, as well as the overall mystery is starting to unravel itself. Every issue is an absolute treat of this book, I will say. What's your take? 
Yeah, th- this book is so different from other books on the stands. It's something – it's hard to pin down. I really like it. I don't know what – every time I read an issue, I'm like, okay, this is like Lord of the Flies, but it's also like The Warriors, but it's also like uh, Walking Dead. Like you find new sort of corners of it, um, and, and none of the references feel – fully like oh this is a that an homage to that or that or that it really does feel like it's sort of everything that we consumed in like uh teen stories um whether it's action horror post-apocalyptic whatever sort of mixed up in a blender and then told in this really unique format with a humorous slash dreadful tone running throughout if you haven't read it um and yeah, this so much happens in this issue for the characters. It feels like the pace of the story is really picking up um, as the, we move out. And I'm curious if now we're moving away from sort of the different uh, gangs or families that we've met so many of, or if it's all coming up in a big um, sort of crash coming soon. We'll have to see. Last but not least, we have Demons, number three, from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. This is the final issue of the first book of the title. As our main characters come face-to-face with the demons, we hear somebody say, we have demons in this issue. So they call out the title right there. But they're going to bat for Halo, which is this mystical substance that potentially comes from heaven or a meteorite or something like that, that is able to battle these demons. They go face to face with them. It's brutal. It's exactly what you'd expect from a Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo comic. What'd you think? Uh, Yeah, I like this too. This does a good job of, uh, of mixing like some of the other books we've talked about comedy and some big horror action, big, uh, so I guess sci-fi fantasy action. Um, I like that uh, Scott includes the script at the end, which is always great to read um, if you're a fan of the comics to see how uh, they spin it together. Um, and, and especially people that have been working together for, for so long. It's cool to see the way that um, Scott sort of is like, hey, if you don't like this, do something you like. You always get it right. And it's just like, oh, that's so nice. Um, imagine getting an email at your job like that. Um, but it, this series also does a good job of having the characters, the heroes, always feel like they're losing. Mm-hmm. Um, they really feel like they're up against it with this. Even at the end of this issue, it feels like they um, are in an interesting place. And yet still, it's like, <laughs> it's good luck. Yeah. This, to me, the two big takeaways that I had is one – this feels of a piece with Noctera, the book that Scott is doing with Tony S. Daniel, just because it is this other post-apocalyptic world with a very specific idea where things are going horribly wrong, but maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, literal or otherwise. And on Greg Capullo's said, this feels like watching a bunch of violators from Spawn that he would draw back in yeah. the day, just all in a book together. And it's very fun. Just you love do talking about violators. I love talking about violators, man. And if you would like to support me talking about violators, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every day. <laughs> oh, <God>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh there's... Ugh, I need some dog. Gotta, gotta get, suck get some... this guy some dog blood. 
Gotta suck some dog is a phrase that I knew I would say but at the beginning of the podcast, now here at the end of the podcast. Patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to broadcast YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to chat with you about comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Stay dog full, gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.